You're listening to the Creating Your Own Path podcast, episode number 53. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Jen Snyder, and as always, you can listen to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast app. You can also catch a new episode each week at creatingyourownpath.com. This episode is brought to you by Stride Health, the place for freelancers to find affordable health coverage and care. Even if you already have coverage, you can create a free account today, add your health plan, and get access to Stride's on-call support team. They'll help you navigate through any healthcare-related question. To find out more, visit stridehealth.com CYOP. Today's show brings me to Denison, Minnesota, to the woodworking shop of Matt Eastvolt. Matt makes beautiful modern furniture just south of Minneapolis, and it was amazing to meet him in person and check out the space in which he works. In the episode, we chat about how his business shifted during the recession and how he's had to be pretty resilient and somewhat nimble to keep his business growing. We also talked a lot about why he's diversifying his products as a way to keep his varied customer base happy and how he's streamlining the business side of things to keep it all sustainable and manageable for him. I think his story and the themes that kept coming up throughout the show are really relatable to just about all of us. I'm excited for you guys to listen. Let's go to the show. Hi, Matt. Hi. How's it going? Good. Good. Thank you for letting me come to your woodworking studio here in Denison. I appreciate it. The furniture that you make is stunning. I love it. Can you share a little bit about your background and kind of tell us how you ended up making things for a living? Yes, thank you for the compliment. I grew up on a farm in southern Minnesota, and and my dad my dad was in charge of taking care of things. It was a large farming operation, and I grew up being around him, fixing machinery, building things, um, building things instead of buying them, like for for the farm industry for his, for his farming business. Mm-hmm. So I learned how to just be creative and make things and, and make things for a function. And so I grew up cutting mainly metal. He was a metal worker. Oh, okay. Farming industry went, went uh, in the eighties, they went out of business. So then he started a welding shop and I worked for that, for his welding business all through college and high school and college. So I was very comfortable in shops, but I always had a passion for the woodworking. We had a little small woodworking shop and I always, unless I was on his paid time, I always gravitated towards the wood shop for some reason. I don't know. I still don't know what it is because I had an opportunity to take his business over and just didn't was not interested in that. Okay. And wanted to just be a woodworker. And that's all through college. I kept dreaming. And I went to school for to be an elementary ed teacher. Oh, okay. And wow. So I, but all through college, continued to have this passion for building furniture um, and didn't do a lot of it. But I wanted to do it and was always but I was always told you couldn't make a living at it you couldn't mm. it's just got to be a hobby even from professors my parents it's just kind of what I was told it was before the big creative boom that we're experiencing right now and right. it was in the late 90s and it just even being a carpenter what didn't seem like that viable because it was pr- almost a little bit before the housing boom too sure in Minnesota at least so I just took a practical route and thought I'd be a teacher but it just the passion was always there, and I, when Room and Board opened up, I would go to their store because they mm-hmm. had a store just south, of, a few miles south of where I went to college, and I'd go there and just walk around and was in awe because that was really the first modern exposure I had had. 
I didn't grow up with a family who had 50s, cool 50s furniture. Sure. Uh, so that was, and they were doing something a little different. It was more industrial. It was approachable for me to make something like that, that, that aesthetic, because I had access to welding, um, some woodworking, and it was just a nice functional modern lines, and I really liked that. So that was a, I, I just really, and then working in my dad's shop, I had a lot of metal scraps, so I'd just start making making furniture on my off time and trying to sell it to whoever my parents would put it in their house. Or, yeah. And it was always virtually free for me to make, so I could just, and it was just, I was getting something out because I didn't take a lot of art classes in college except for ceramics. And oh, okay. I really liked that a lot too. So, so I got out of college and immediately started, got a job working for a home builder up in Duluth. Um, learned a lot just about how things go together. So I started that and then ended up teaching for a couple years because I moved back home. My dad was sick and I moved home. And while I was also being a carpenter down there, substitute taught and a position opened up. So I ended up teaching while I was down there. Okay. And then after my dad died, we moved to St. Paul and I got a job as a cabinet maker. And one thing led to another the, and I ended up taking over that business because the owner moved moved away, and he was doing work for a, a, a really fantastic design firm at the time, mm-hmm. all the custom work, and uh, they're no longer around, but their name was Red Lua Red in Minneapolis, which people re- will still remember. And I suddenly found myself in the middle of some really amazing modern cabinet, but more than cabinet projects. There was a lot of wall paneling and, I mean, doing all of the woodwork in a whole, in a whole house. Wow. But I was still pretty green in the industry, and this was 2003, Okay. and I was, it was sort of like teachers being one day ahead of a student. I sort of felt like I was really learning, but I was also working with some incredible design, uh, architects and designers, mm-hmm. and that was sort of my schooling. I learned so much about how things fit into space, a space, into a home. That was sort of my training, I guess, was on... On the job. Yeah, on the job training, but it was more... I was working with these people who had just such a great sense of how something should come together. And they even had a sense of how how the millwork itself should come together. So I was learning, um, even though I was trying to act... You know, I I knew what I was doing, but I... I, Not completely. And I was, you know, trying to act like the pro, but I was also really taking in what they were telling me. Sure. Um, and And just where I was working, these spaces and... It just translated, for that, it translated into me into making furniture. Then I started, after years of doing, after several years of doing this, I, because up until like then 2008, we officially started the furniture business in conjunction with the cabinet business. Oh, okay. And I, it just made sense to me. I like, innately just figured, I would just design. It seemed like the proportions were there. I understood how things come together, but also how to pare it down. I don't know. I just learned a lot from doing the cabinetry and okay and so can we talk about the the cabinetry and transitioning into furniture a little bit because I know that uh the recession was sort of like a a marker in terms of how you transition from cabinetry to furniture a little bit yeah the so in 2008 we started in the summer we had been building some custom furniture here and there but we made a conscious decision to start Eastfold Furniture as a as a brand as a company we had had a, a logo that we were trying to come up with t-shirt designs and a logo, one of the t-shirt designs stuck out to me, which is still our logo that I, I thought that's got to be a furniture logo to kind of separate the two companies. Cause I, in Minnesota, the market isn't really huge for cabinetry or furniture. So for both companies, I was really starting to look 
uh, nationally. Trying to because we were blogs had started then mm-hmm. um, in the in the early two thousands. It was design blogs were contacting us because they had seen a project in a magazine mm-hmm. or the architects had put you know pitched. So we were starting to get this online presence, and I. I wanted to standardize our cabinets a little more, make them less less custom, and market to San Francisco, New York, LA, um, nationally because it was it just it was too hard. It's in Minnesota, it was too hard in the price point. Cabinetry has such a low profit margin that in Minnesota, people are already shocked by the prices, and you're barely making a profit because there's so much money going into the project. So anyway, I started looking nationally, and at that time thought, well furniture let's let's design some pieces of furniture we can sell because etsy had started right um some online retailers had started uh so we kind of wanted to get into that game <clears throat> well then so we officially had a party in in uh summer of 2008 and september of 2008 the recession hit right so we had barely gotten the furniture the furniture hadn't really had much reach aside from etsy we had we had a website we had a, a store even um, but I hadn't reached out to any online retailers yet. So I found myself, in, like, with the rug pulled out from under the business. We had a, a lot of employees, and all like, all the work went away. For the cabinet yeah, side within of things, weeks, right? Within weeks, yeah. Yeah, within weeks, all the cabinet business went oh away. Oh, my gosh. It was just, it was like a faucet shut off. There was a stock market right. crash happened, and then bank, you know, just the chaos started. So... We made it a few more months. I made it a few more months, and we kind of reorganized things. Um, a few employees took over the business, and the furniture had slowly started taking off. So I decided to just keep doing that, and got in, got involved with a couple online retailers. Design Public was one of the first ones mm-hmm. to take us on, mm-hmm. and that was my only option for money right. because we I was applying for jobs and. Some of the jobs in the industry were had two, three hundred applicants. So there's really, there's just I didn't have any other options. Right. And we were, you know, we were just trying to make it through. Right. And so the furniture started selling, and that was it was good. And then I uh, actually had one more big cabinet job to finish up that had been mine, and the other guys weren't interested in finishing it up. So it was in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So it was our first. It's kind of all these things started to fall into place, and then the recession happened. And um, but it, you know it's all good now. But the uh, we had one more job in San Fr- I had one more job in San Francisco. That I did it all myself, and and it was big. And we went and installed it. And it was kind of a nice way to end the end it. And it was also a a nice. It was financially it was good because I had it was it was I just did, did all the work. I didn't have right. didn't have the overhead of employees. So. So anyway, so we finished it up, and then, but the furniture slowly started to take off, and that's, you know, there was no silver bullet right. that made the furniture business grow quickly. It was just it's been a slow growth. I was going to say because two thousand eight to now seven years ago, yeah, seven years ago we started the business or right. officially, and I still feel like we could go further. Sure, but you know, and every year it grows. But it's there's you know when people ask what what it, like, how did you get how did you get here. And it's just never, and just always trying to network. It's always trying right. to just, it's just a constant slow growth. <laughs> yeah, And time. I don't think anybody <laughs> will tell you differently. Any, you know, wood furniture company can, can tell you differently. There's, it's just such a, it's a, it's an old trade and you got to find your niche. You got to find out what works for you. So. Well, I think you found it, uh, but you're mm-hmm. right. There is no silver bullet. And I think maybe time is the only. Yeah. 
the only thing you can... Time and hard work. Yeah. Like, don't sit and watch a movie, send emails. That's true. Yeah, you have to actually be doing worthwhile things with your time. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's that's a good point. So I'm curious, would you say that you are more comfortable designing a piece of furniture, like coming up with the idea of it um, and how it will all fit together, or actually building it, or both? Where do where do you find you're most comfortable? That's that's a good question because I I'm in the middle of a challenging custom project, which I do some custom jobs in the summer when things are slow, and. I I think I'm more comfortable coming up with a concept, which is when I had employees as a cabinet business, I loved helping out with the concept, but then I had some very skilled employees who could take that and really build a solid project out of mm-hmm. it. Usually it was cabinetry, but they would... And I felt, I've always felt like I'm a little bit... And in this project, I'm, I'm, I'm having to go back and retrofit a few things on this custom project because I... I, I don't. I, I feel like it doesn't always come together in my head. So my answer to your question, my short answer is I both, because it takes me to. I can't in my head engineer. I can come up with an idea and visualize what it's going to look like. There's never like even in chemistry, there was never a surprise what a project looked like, from black and white paper to 3D. Mm-hmm. That was before SketchUp even, um, because I, I can visualize it. Right. But I, engineering it in my head, I have to work through that. So. Like, it takes about three or four credenzas. It took about three, you know, it's the, right. the ones that are working now are the third, you know, kind of the third. We've tweaked things. Right. Prototypes. Um, you prototypes, have to have prototypes, yeah. yeah. And not every like, I've worked with people who immediately can understand how the strongest joint or the best leg is going to be the strongest. It's not going to wobble. It's not, you know, there's all these, a zillion things that, and then also how it's going to come together easily. Okay. But I have to do that physically. Yeah. So, so you have to work through that process I do, yeah. in order to, okay. So I can come up with the idea, but I'm not always really good at the first one being great. Right. Which is what you have to be good at in custom work. Right. <laughs> because you have one chance to do it. That's true. That's true. So it's, uh, that's, it's always been the struggle for me. Okay. Yeah. Cause you kind of, you, I mean, but I think that happens a lot in a, in a lot of different industries mm-hmm. is that, um, the, fr- I mean, even artists, right. Their yeah, first paintings are not great. Struggle. A lot of right. the time, you know, right. it takes a while. Right. So, um, so when you're constantly kind of making something, whether it's a credenza or, like I said, a piece of art or I don't know, pottery, mm-hmm. the first thing I made in ceramics class right. was not good. It was probably really heavy. Well, the third and the fourth <laughs> was really bad too. So it's you know, I'm just not, I'm not a, I'm not going to be a ceramicist anytime soon. But right. you know, so it is. Sometimes things take time and yeah. practice. So, and in in terms of kind of. Uh, building slash designing, you know, in terms of like which one you're most comfortable with. You also recently started contracting with a local woodworker, right? To help make some of your products. Right. Okay. So I'm always curious when, because now, you know, I know you had employees before with the cabinetry business, but now you're kind of on your own. And so when did you decide to hire help? I know that's, that's a common, um, theme. It seems like in a lot Mm -hmm. of my interviews is I, I talk to a lot of solo entrepreneurs, if yeah. you will, yeah. people who are on their own doing things. And there's always this, um, I don't know if it's a tipping point necessarily, but there's always this point when they have to decide to I think hire comes somebody. From a point of exhaustion. Is that what it is? Yeah. Was that your tipping point? I think it's, yeah, I think you get to a point when you can't physically do, I mean, there's several reasons you hire somebody. It's either you, there's tasks that you're not comfortable or you think someone else could do better. Like a lot of people, it's the marketing end of it. They right. need to hire somebody for the marketing and bookkeeping. Um, that's been my strong point over everything uh, is getting the word out and being a marketing 
person for the company, but the most expensive thing to hire out is the building of it. Right. So, and for me, I've done that, you know, where I, I'm the, thankfully the, the company that builds my furniture, helps build my furniture. I'm in their shop right. with them. So it, I can regulate. I don't have to commit to hiring somebody right now. And I did have them building a lot more and I was doing more of the marketing, but I discovered it. I quickly discovered that I, I really needed to almost double my volume to mm. make that financially viable. Okay. So I backed away from that and I started putting in much longer hours, mm-hmm. um, which isn't stressful to me. I, cause what's stressful to me, especially just like the, I don't want to call it trauma, but the, just the memories of the recession. I'm sure. really skittish of any sort of financial risk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and and the, uh, rightly so. I mean, it was a scary time. Yeah. So I, it's much, I'd much rather pull all nighters and be totally physically exhausted than have any financial risk. So for me, it's, that's kind of what I'm doing right now okay. and it feels good. Okay. But I, I'm also reaching that point of exhaustion again where right. I need to figure this out. So I've just been, you know, I'm trying to plan ahead. And if I know I'm going to need some help, I ask Nest Woodworking, who does my building, some of my building, if I can have, you know, some help. Right. And they, you know, have one or, one or two of their guys build five credenzas coming up. Because okay. I know I'm going to be, it's going to be more than I can handle. Or, you know, some of the bigger pieces like the Alden sideboard or the Jackson bed. Mm-hmm. They're, they take a week, sometimes take almost a week to build or okay. a few days, and I don't always have that dedicated full days. If I were to build some some of those pieces, it would take me two weeks because I'm bouncing from email to working. To, right. So that's why also the nights are really less stressful because I don't have those distractions aren't there. I usually can just power through a bunch of work and then right. be done. Yeah. So that's I would say that that's, for me, it's... I'm still trying to figure out the employee thing, like mm-hmm. my extra help. Uh, I'd really like to find someone who can do the do building, also graphic design, and some marketing. I, I have I do hire out my social media, okay, except for Instagram, to a really great company uh, or couple, not company couple, who has a company doing it for other lots of companies like mine and oh, cool. some larger. Larger businesses, a lot of creative, and they're very, very good. What's uh, their name? I'll link to them in the Bodega. Bodega, okay. And Joseph Harris and Liz Gardner, and okay. they have he. Joseph has a professional background in social media oh, cool. for larger firms, and then she, uh, Liz, she was very, she was one of the main people at Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine. Oh, okay. Anyway, great people. Okay, cool. Really great couple. They're, yeah, I like to link up young. to yeah. resources like that. So. Yeah, and they're, I mean, they're doing social media probably for some of the coolest companies in the Twin Cities. And, How fun. And people are watching them. So it's done a yeah. lot for my business. Even though locally, it's not, I don't get much out of it, um, but they're just, they do a nice job. I was in need of a fresh vibe or a fresh feel because, you know, I'm, we've been around for a long time and what's, everything's worked, but I needed to freshen it up. Yeah. Because well, I'm, I'm not in my 20s anymore and they, <laughs> they are and they, yeah. they get what's really, even though I'm, I'm, I have, I'm aware of things that are hip, I'm just... You know, I understand. They're on the leading edge of it. Yeah, so yeah. They're, no. they're almost trendsetters. I, so. I completely anyway. understand that feeling. I feel that way right now um, in my world. The twenty-year-olds are doing some things I don't even. Understand. I know. <laughs> so um, yeah, well, like, like I, I look at sometimes I'm like, that's that's cool again. Yeah, like, right. I think it's cool. Again. There's <laughs> that too. Yeah, things come around. Yeah, things it's come great. Around. 
you not only you've got your online shop, but like you said, you create custom pieces and you do some commercial work, right? Yep. So can you kind of talk through the process for each type of client? Because I'm assuming that you already kind of touched on it with mm-hmm. the custom work, but the process for you is probably different where you've got, say, a credenza that you know works, you've, you've right. prototyped it, you can kind of produce those. Right. Whereas custom work, it's it's kind of a different process working with a client like that, right? So can, right. You, can you walk through that yeah. a little bit? So there's three aspects to yeah, that. The, the, your question is um, very much a part of what I, I even design around. Um, so the custom work, so I'll answer the custom work question. In the summertime, furniture sales always slow down. So I, I just merely take on a few custom jobs that I know will be profitable, but not necessarily are super challenging. Just like, so I, like right now I'm building some office stations. And, oh, okay. Um, just because it, but um, a lot of times custom work isn't worth it for me to take a custom job anymore because I, I have a consistent amount of orders coming in throughout the year. So for me to switch gears, it mm-hmm. gets really tricky. Mm-hmm. And almost, like if I'm building a totally custom piece of furniture, it takes my eye off the ball, if that's a good term to use for it. I just, I find myself taking less and less custom jobs because it just, it, it's just, it throws things off. But the one thing, and, and this is true with custom, or with uh, commercial projects, we just, I just did uh, a large order for Nickelodeon offices in, Really? New York. Wow. And But they ordered all customized credenzas. Wow. So that's the thing that we've we've gone to, I've gone to marketing it a couple years ago again. Um, I think my, my hope was always like about four or five years ago was that I'd do some trade shows and continue getting the marketing out there and just sell a huge amount of the same credenzas. Like mm-hmm. that was always, but I realized that at my price point, I, I got to offer a little more and most people, they're really happy with being able just to customize something. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's not I, that way I'm not reinventing the wheel every time. I'm not trying to come up with a whole new co- concept. I, but it's merely changing the size, changing the color, a custom color of the base, oh, or maybe even a custom base, which isn't hard to throw on. So then I'm not interrupting my flow too much, right. uh, my workflow. But it's really giving. So, like this job, they wanted, they had custom colors, and they're actually trying to match or even complement some another brand's conference tables that they were bringing oh, in. Okay. So customizing is a, has been a really good selling point. Um, and we did a large project that went out to Santa Monica two years ago with, of ten credenzas, and they wanted to add drawers oh. and then also do a custom door, which is just white. It was a white door with white base. So all these things are very simple to do, and the credenza is a is a doesn't require jigs to mm-hmm. you know like a lot of leg shapes or a lot of shapes you have to have a jig. Well, that jig is sometimes tricky to change the size of. So when I don't have, so it's easy for me to change the sizes. Is yeah. what I'm getting at. Right. You can change the length, height, depth. So mm-hmm. if they have stereo. Like I just built a credenza for somebody who was way into stereo equipment and but needed it deeper because of all their equipment and mm-hmm. they need some venting so right. it's it's easy to do that and that is a great way to it's a great selling point sure because i, I would think you know you like you said you kind of have the systems in place right but you're just adding options for right. people right and people love options right so yeah i would think that that would be a really great selling point. Yeah, and for the nickelodeon job the, the only two things i had to do differently was build build them out of paintable wood Okay. Not walnut or, you know, it was just out of natural maple. And then they wanted some custom colors. But the powder coat industry has a color chart. 
and you just pick sure. out the color. And oftentimes it's a small fee extra. Okay. So these, it's, it's worked out really well. Yeah. So that's how I handle. So the custom, that's really common in more commercial projects. Mm -hmm. uh, customers, a lot of times will change the size, but we don't go to the extent of, you know, a lot of custom color or anything right. like that. Right. Well, especially so, if it's just one piece versus right. a huge order. Yeah. Right. Okay. That would make sense. So I'm curious, you know, your pieces are very modern, which I'm, I'm here in rural Minnesota. <laughs> I'm obviously attracted to those pieces. Yeah. Um, I love them. So do you, do you see a lot of customers in Minnesota? I mean, is that growing? Is that side of it growing or, or are you really pushing your pieces to the, maybe the coasts? Um, How, what are your, where do your orders come from? I guess. So my orders come from primarily the Bay area and Manhattan. Okay. So those are, you know, far and above where most of my orders go. And then California in general is a large market and kind of the Northeast. Okay. Um, Texas and Florida are surprisingly probably the next ones. Getting in the, on board? Yeah. Okay. Um, there was a big spike in Texas last year for some odd reason, um, but that's slowed down again. But we mm -hmm. just have two crates on the way to Austin right now. Okay. So, uh, Minnesota has picked up, but that's primarily because there's a, a retailer called Forage Modern. Mm -hmm. There's a store, they're a store and they've, they've done a lot for the design, like the make maker. I really don't like the term maker, but it is a, it's a thing. It's yeah, what, it it, is. It's a description. Yeah. So they've done a lot for the maker community in the Twin Cities, getting it out there and selling it. And they have a national presence now. They have a great mm -hmm. website. So they've, they've been a big part of marketing to Minnesota because I don't market specifically anywhere. Aside okay. from doing ICFF, which is the trade mm -hmm. show in New York. And uh, dwell on design, so I, that's the, really the only specific marketing. House, I do a little marketing specifically. So okay. It's not, I don't spend a lot on that, so it's. I would say it's just it's just kind of organic how it's happened. And even when I was just on Etsy, it was when I first noticed it. Even in two thousand eight, there was all these like almost every order was coming out of California. Oh, interesting. So in the New York, people were ordering coffee tables. So the coffee table is, and, the, and Etsy also is how we test market it was almost a test market because everything i offer now wasn't on our original what we thought was going to be selling oh, really well interesting except for the coffee table the classic coffee table is really the only in the classic credenza which aren't really in the you know they're just very mid-century mm -hmm. designs we were designing because at that time I, one of my employees was designing furniture with me and but we were we thought reclaimed and lumber was going to be the thing that we were going to sell. Oh, okay. And it did get very popular, but for us, it was just like, that's not the direction. I wanted to be more, I, I wanted to be, I was trying to get away from all the custom work. Right. And what was happening with the, the reclaimed, it was becoming a custom thing. You know, well, you it's hard just, to find the same exact materials exactly. over and over again. And you have to do a lot more explaining to a customer. Like, there's going to be a bolt hole here. There's going to be a nail hole. Is that okay? Mm -hmm. So you'd get all these surprises from, like, customers would be surprised that there's right. a bolt hole in the middle, in the top of their credenza. Right. Even though you, they knew there was, it was going to happen. Right. So I quickly got away from that. Like, that was not the direction I wanted to go. Not that I don't like that aesthetic and not that I don't believe in I really liked the story behind it. But for me, it just... It wasn't how I wanted to operate the business. Right. I was trying to get away from the stress of that. Right. You know, so. Well, you have to make it work for you so that you can operate how you need to operate, right. too, you know, well, so that you can, time, like, sleep at night. And, right. And yeah. at the time with the cabinet business, like, we were trying to come up with something that was going to complement that and not. 
Oh, I see. Be like right. it. Right, right, right. Because it was so up and down, and some jobs you'd make make money on, some jobs you wouldn't make money on. Right. But we needed, we needed this complementary source of income. And then as I moved into heavier into the furniture, the input was so heavy. There was so much, in, like, to buy the reclaimed lumber was either really labor-intensive, and to pay somebody to do that was expensive, or to get it, to buy the these fur beams was really expensive, and then to build something out of it and sell it for... A reasonable price right just wasn't going to work so. i see i see so you just kind of had to anyway, test it out and see. yeah we tested all these things out and be, you know and then we were going to do some toy boxes but we couldn't get the price point of the toy boxes okay right building them you know like yeah we wanted to the way they were designed and built it was just like we had to sell them for four hundred dollars and who's going to buy a toy box for four hundred dollars you know so yeah i hope chest maybe but not oh, a hope, toy. Yeah. yeah yeah you kind of have to yeah so it was interesting to kind of go through that but then i was also i was going through that when i, I was desperately in need of money like yeah sure so i'm trying to like get things to sell but then they weren't like quite working out right it was kind of this crazy time to be trying something new yeah, yeah. <laughs> well so i was kind of doing whatever and it was you know it's right now i just i feel like i'm ready for anything you know like yeah I, any challenge that comes my way i'm yeah i, I feel like handle. sometimes going through stuff like that yeah i mean they always, it's cliche, but whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? right? But, um, and I feel like a lot of people could probably say that about yeah. the recession, is that, right. holy smokes, I can figure out almost anything now. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to say about the recession, too, a, a really positive thing, and I believe it's what came out of the recession is the maker movement, mm -hmm. because there was so many people like myself who were out of work, right. and then there was no other job, you know, having... Or somebody lost their job in the banking industry, right? But grew up working in their grandpa's shop, and they thought, "Well, you know, I can put some stuff up on Etsy." And all these interesting stories come out of like you we're far enough away from the recession now. Like people, like I see some young people who are you know out of design school and they're doing their thing. But right away, like in the you know 2010, not 11, so many people that were in the maker world mm -hmm. had these stories of they had you know they were you know they had, they lost their job basically right. and that now but then so it's really neat and now people and when before like when we were doing chemistry we had to try to we were always trying to explain to people why you should invest in a local company that's charging more than you can get at you know another place but why is that important and it was really a struggle like we we just it was and there was when blogs were starting starting to come out we mm -hmm. were trying to do some of that talking but, you know, right after the recession, Red Wing Boots, Fairbowl Woolen Mills, you know, and then lots of people like myself. And then there's just an entire, now that there's like a crowd of people telling the story, like why you should buy, because even Red Wing Boots are made down the road from here. Right. And, you know, it's hard for them to make it because they're, it's an expensive shoe. Yep. High quality. And there's lots of competition from, from China. Right. So they're trying to tell the story, like why, why you should invest in this and, you know, Fairbow Woolen Mills down the road too is trying to, is, they're telling the same story. Sure. So it's been very helpful. Now people get it there. So people are investing in something. It's like a kind of a, it's, there's a, it's, it's the gray line between art and function. Right. You know, and that's what we're making is functional art, even though it's more functional than art. I think most of the time, like, you know, we're building something, but it's, it's not quite, I wouldn't call it, I couldn't put my credentials in an art gallery. And I think, and I don't want it to, I sort of feel like then, I also feel like if it's art, then is, you know, are we really giving the cheaply made stuff a run for its money? Right. Because you know, it almost diminishes that 
Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah, because because like, you don't want it to be so precious that it doesn't get used. Right. You want people to, people to be able to use it. Yeah. My so my stepmother she makes quilts. Uh huh. And she says, "Don't you dare hang this on a wall <laughs> right. or like over right. a whatever right. a couch or this is meant to be used. Take it to picnics, you know. Right. You know, put it on the bed, like use it. Yeah. Um, because she, it's not obviously it's precious because she made it, right. but but. You have to it's be able to use the item, yeah. Um, and so, that, and again, it's a di- it's a different philosophy. I I've, I interviewed a quilter who who actually does display things in a gallery, you right. know, and that's what he does. Yeah. Um, but but I think you know there are certain items that you want to be able to use, and and if they get banged up, that just means that you used them, right. you know, that they were loved. Yeah, <laughs> so, I don't know. So many customers don't want they they're afraid their kids are going to bang up the piece or wreck it, and they're right. like, well. You sh- they shouldn't be they you know, like they shouldn't destroy this piece. It's like it's 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 high. It's not gonna you know it should be able to withstand that. And it's like it should be part of your family, right? So and I don't know if, like for me, it's just like calling something. I, I don't know if I'm doing a, it's something to think about, but it's something that's always in the back of my head. I don't want it to be art. Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to keep my price point, even though it's expensive to most people, accessible, right? And I've, I've it's partly why I you know I. I've wanted to keep the prices down is so that young people, mm-hmm. and most of the time the young people are only in New York and San Francisco, sure. but I want it to somehow, I don't want to, because there's a lot of times when I, you could charge a lot more. Sure. And then, but it just doesn't, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. You know, because you want people to be able yeah. to own it, right? Right. And yeah. I want to, I want to be compete. I want to, you know, because there's this big push to bring industry back to America mm-hmm. and in our communities. So I feel like, if there's an opportunity for that to grow, I want, you know, I just want to, I want to, I want to do that. I want to be a part of that and I yeah. want to, you know, bring it back. Yeah. So. No, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. All right. So since we're kind of heading in this direction anyway, I want to talk about Minnesota. Yeah. Because we're here in Denison, which is where your shop is. You live in Northfield, right? Right. Um, and you're about an hour south of Minneapolis. Right. Right. Yep. So why here? Why did you decide to set up shop here? Well, we decided to move to Northfield purely because of the community. We okay. had, it's near where we grew, both grew up. My wife and I both grew up in southern Minnesota. She grew up in Mankato and I grew up in near Albert Lee. But we chose Northfield because it was just an, it's a nice community. There's, it's a unique community that has two colleges and a, an interesting demographic coming in. So we bought a house in 2004 and I moved my shop into Northfield. There was a small space open. And we did almost all of the large, the really great high-profile jobs that we did were out of that little tiny shop. Wow. Um, jobs that were in Dwell and covers of local magazines. And and I started looking for a shop because we it was just getting painful to work in that little shop. Yeah. So we there was a space opened up, a new building here in Denison. There was no shop space in Northfield during the boom. It was kind of during the okay. building boom. There was no shop space available. So, like, even there was not even expensive shop space available. So, this space opened up, and it was a 15-minute drive from my house, which was the really the main downfall of it. But it was so we rented, but we rented it, and it's that's kind of how I ended up in Denison. Okay, I think that makes a lot of sense, and it's a great shop. Yeah, and it's been a good, you know, it's been a great, it's been a great space for us, and you know, it's the community's been good. So that's good. That's good. And can you talk a little bit about? 
I, I know you don't want to call it the maker movement, but the the maker it's movement fine. in in Minnesota. I don't want to offend anybody. <clears> no, I that. no, it's it's I one think, of those terms that's gotten so kind of used and it's abused. overused. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah sort of like for sure. Greenwashing, maker washing. A little bit. Yeah, you're maker washing it. I like it. <laughs> um, but can you talk about the scene here a little bit in terms yeah. of um, the creatives doing cool things and and mm-hmm. and how you fit into all of that? Yeah. Um, well, I would say that Northfield area. There's not a huge scene, mm-hmm. quote unquote, mm-hmm. but in Northfield, because of all these, all this this huge population of people coming from, you know, Manhattan and California and all these large, like, and then like New England college towns who were mm-hmm. a lot of the professors had their first jobs or they grew up in these towns. There's been there's this very much a support and promotion of art and the farming community. So the farming community in Northfield, the CSAs, mm-hmm. I think now there's over almost 40 CSAs. You're kidding. Just in our, and then some uh, Sorry, supply. I have a look of shock on my face. That's a lot. <laughs> it is. It's a huge amount. And mo- uh, there's some that are, you know, there's a lot of them that are supported by people who, in just Northfield people who have yeah. shares, who buy shares. We have a, we buy a share with a really nice young couple that owned a, a farm called Springwind Farm. Um, there's several that supply to then Minneapolis having mm-hmm. such a great restaurant scene. Um, it's becoming one of the top in the nation now, and they are very cognizant of buying locally. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, that's also been a huge help, um, you know, this area. And then I would say Northwest Metro have a high population of farms that yeah, supply sure. to the restaurant industry. Okay. And now that one of the local farms, the CSAs, which is a really big one is now building a giant root cellar. Because they had an opportunity to buy land, and they didn't know what to do with it, so they planted root vegetables, and now they're going to have this huge root vegetable wow. storage. And so, I, and I think it's interesting because um, something similar is happening in Sacramento, which is mm-hmm. where I'm from. And I've always been interested to watch how the restaurant industry and like the farm to table, yeah. farm to fork is what we call it, yeah. movement, um, almost precedes. Um, or either coincides with the shop local or buy local right. um, handmade goods too. So you kind of there's they're they're sort of um, happening at, at similar times or, or yeah, even, I don't know. So. I feel like in Sacramento the food went came first, and now we're seeing a lot of right. you know people who are making things. Well, hand, I think in conjunction and, with people being aware of it's 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 well the the it's it's all coming from people being aware of where their things are coming from right whether it's their food their clothes their furniture their you know everything people are much more aware because they're realizing the disparities of some of the of where some of their things come from whether it's clothes or you know or you know furniture or whatever and being aware of supporting people in their community that are doing things do you think in sacramento it's is there been hardship in the farming area there that has caused people to to maybe invest internally? Does that make sense? Um, that's, sure. I that's mean, what's happened here. Farming, you know, in the 80s went bust right. in the farming crisis. Right. So it's taken a long time, but, you know, like there's still people with this passion to farm. Mm-hmm. So this is now being, with our uh, proximity to the, to the metro area, it's a way for us to, it's a way for, not me, I'm not doing it, but yeah, it's sure. a way for them to farm. Right. And make a good living at it. Right. And the whole CSA thing. And then also in in, a, in, in, a, in conjunction with people being aware of where their things are coming from. Yeah. Well, and, and it's health. all community driven too, right. which is nice. That's, yeah. I like watching it. It's encouraging it, to see people investing in their community. Right. Because you know, not everybody loves to get a basket full of rutabaga. <laughs> but 
they're invest. They like to see the. Yeah. You know, it's like that's always the you know the complaint about CSAs is that you get one of a, a ton of one of the things. Right. Like right now, we've got more spinach than we know what to do with. Right. But we're doing mm-hmm. it because we believe it not only in our family's health, but you know, in the health of our community mm-hmm. and supporting. Right. And it's just a good thing. Yeah, it's like welcome to eating seasonally. <laughs> right. <laughs> this exactly. is what it looks and like. That's what people. Yeah, that's how mm-hmm. people had to do it. Right. So that's, how, that's reality. Not, yeah. And it's not that long ago. You know, no, 90 years ago, sure. that's how people lived. Yeah. Like, it's just been in the last 50 years that we've been able to get strawberries in the middle of winter. Right. Not even. I mean, right. that's why fruit baskets are such a huge, were such a huge deal. Right. In, well, you guys probably don't have this, but in yeah. Minnesota, people get fruit baskets in Christmas because not that long ago, you couldn't get an orange. Right. So they'd bring these fruit baskets in on the holidays, mm-hmm. and then you'd... Because you could have an orange. Right. It was a special thing. Now it's like, why are you giving me a fruit basket? Right. Because we, we can get always get oranges whenever we want. Right. Right. But it's it's a it's it's a fairly new. It's not it's decades old. Right. Thing. That's a good point. Like we're like now, but we've all forgotten. It's like we're all eating seasonally and complaining about it. But that's that was right. just the way of life eh, not that long ago. Make a smoothie with your spinach. Right. So. <laughs> we'll make it happen. <laughs> so for those who are kind of thinking about starting their own business, what advice would you have for them? That's a hard question because, because I've never been a person who has written a business plan Mm -hmm. and I've never been a person who, I guess I started the, I mean, I I started the cabinet business consciously, but it was sort of a chance. I didn't intend on doing it so quickly, but I, but I was faced with an opportunity of someone you know, kind of walking away from their their contacts that I knew were good. So I decided, like, well, I'm I'm going to do this. You know, because we we had a chance to work for a great architect and get right into doing some really good projects and good business. So for me, it's never been like. So I guess maybe maybe my one big lesson is take really try to watch for opportunities and take advantage of opportunities because a lot of business business is mostly hard work and some luck right and that's an old term but it's it's really true for me you know like chance meetings um but also taking advantages of opportunities you know hearing like someone like you coming through town saying you know i almost i felt like i was going to be a bit self-promoting but i wanted to reach out and say hey i'd love to i'm here yeah Yeah. (laughs) but you're like but trying to be really you know to do just really watch for opportunities um but i don't i mean aside from that it's just a lot of hard work you know, and, and also, I guess the other thing is work hard while you, when you can, because mm-hmm. right now, so I worked insane hours before we had kids and then we had kids and I've just chosen to really shift things to spending more time, like, cause that time's going quickly. Sure. I'm, I'm seeing that right now. So for me, it's like that work life balance is really tricky, but thankfully I don't need a lot of sleep. So I try to, <laughs> yeah. you know, not miss things because it's going to go quickly and I'll be able to work in the shop all I want again, you know, in five right. years. Right. So that's, I don't, I don't have no, that's, much time. Like, honestly, I dream of sometime having hopefully somebody of like starting their business and like being able to help them. Mm-hmm. Like give it, because I don't, I mean, there's just a, a million things you could tell somebody. Right. And it's all adjust, and it's adjusting and don't be, I watch people be too rigid, you know, or too, too nervous or, I don't know. You yeah. got to be a calculated risk taker. Um, sometimes it doesn't work out for you. <laughs> right. Sometimes it does. Um, but it's just, you know, and, and just manage the stress because it's, 
Yeah, it happens. And, uh, you know, you said, I, I don't really know what to tell people, but I think telling people that it requires a lot of hard work is yeah. actually excellent advice. And an insane amount of time. Right. It's your own, it's, a, it's, it's like having another kid. Yeah. If you've ever had a kid, it's like having, a, you know, it's just like, it's, it, it come, it, it needs you when you don't have the time mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or when you have other things going on. Right. Um, it's, just, it's, yeah. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Yeah. Well, again, yeah. I no think matter, that's And aside advice. from the physical work, it's, you know, aside from me being in the shop, it's, you know, I get up super early in the morning to, you know, catch up on emails, make, you know, to get shipping right. um, bill of ladings from our, my broker, you know, just I have all kinds of things. Yeah. Fill out FedEx forms. So you're always doing yeah. something and you always need to have something done. Yeah. And then when you're not doing that, I'm, you know, I got to try to design something. You know, I need to come up with new stuff. I have to do that this year. Right. It's becoming time. You know, I'm beating the credenza horse to death. To death and <laughs> I don't know. I still like it. No, so. <laughs> they're still selling quite well. But I, I worry, you know, it's just like that's, I need to, I need to come out. But after being in the business long, a long time now, it's almost harder to design something because mm. I, before I would just design something that I thought looked really cool mm-hmm. or great and that was seemed versatile and then I would go with it. Mm-hmm. But now I'm finding like the credenzas, we, the way we build them, it takes a big crate to ship them. Right. Now, now when I try to design something, I want it to be shippable, mm-hmm. especially FedEx shippable, so we don't have to deal with white glove. Not that I dislike white glove. We have a lot of great white glove services that we work with, but it's just the, the expense behind it. Sure. It adds, it adds so much to the cost. Um, so if I could come up with something that FedEx as well, but a large credenza. So I'm working and also produces, you know, producing like our credenzas there's a lot of time involved in them, even just a simple box, but the way we build them, right. it takes a lot of time. So I'm trying to come up with something that looks high quality, that is high quality, but it produces much quicker, much more quickly, mm-hmm. uses material more efficiently, and ships. So it just, it becomes just like, holy, and to be unique. Right. So it's just, it, it's every time, every year I sit down and I'm going to come up with a new line and I just, I get stalled out. Cause right. I, there are a lot of variables to think about. There are about. a lot of variables to think about yeah. now. Because I... I also get exhausted selling three thousand dollar credenzas because it's sure. it's always you know you just got, it's a sell right you know nobody just buys a credenza right sometimes they do but yeah you know I mean, but most of the time you've got to you know do a do some corresponding which is fine I enjoy that too but it, it's just I'm trying to diversify the business a little bit so I have a fifteen hundred dollar credenza to sell I see but not being cheaper weird so. cheaper weird yeah, yeah you don't want that no <laughs> i so, understand it's been a challenge yeah finding things at different price points i get that yeah well so um we're just wrapping things up here because we're almost out of time so okay. where are the best places online to find you and your work online our website eastvoltfurniture.com okay is uh where if you write an email or if you write to the contact page it comes directly to my email so okay. you can answer i can answer any questions if anyone has uh, and then Y Living is a big retailer. Okay. Um, there's many retailers, so I, I don't I don't know if I could list them all. Sure. Yeah. But um, I'll, I'll I list don't them in the show notes. Yeah. There's a, there's a, quite a few retailers. Okay. Uh, the brick and mortar ones, I really I still I still really try to help them out. Because yeah. They're putting they're putting a lot on the line. And they're they're listed on your website, right? No, or no? they're not. Oh, they're not. Okay. What are some of the brick and mortars? The Modern Shop in Ottawa, Canada. Uh huh. Uh, Loveding in Austin, Texas, Just Modern in Palm Springs. Oh, okay. Uh, Forage Modern in Minneapolis. Okay. 
Well, I will. Um, I'll make sure to link up to and those. And then in the show uh, notes. there's Urban Natural in New Jersey. Okay. So anyway, all right. Well, we have people listening up. from all over the country. So, right. You know, if you can, yeah, you can, can find look. some pieces. Yeah. Um, locally, that's nice. But write definitely write to me if you have any questions. Okay. I'm and then answer. you're on Instagram. I love following on Instagram. Yes. What's your Instagram handle so people have it? Matt Eastfold. Okay. Very simple. All right. Well, thank you for your time today. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank Thanks you. for letting me come to the shop. Yeah, it was my pleasure. That was Matt. His work is really beautiful, so be sure to head on over to eastfoldfurniture.com to check it out. Also, don't forget to say hello over on Instagram. As he mentioned, you can find him at Matt Eastfold. And if you want to follow along with the CYOP road trip, you can find me on Instagram at Jennifer E. Snyder. And I know he mentioned a ton of really great resources, so you can find all of those in the show notes over at creatingyourownpath.com. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, and leave a review. Thanks for listening, you guys, and I'll catch you next time.